up something. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody voucher Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments And sacrificing temporary sh for bigger blessings Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million if you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that sh** that everybody voucher Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier, and I'm sitting here, as usual, as y'all already know, with my co-host, the great Deanna Kent. What's up? What's up? No, no, just, just chilling, you know? And, uh, so today, this is going to be a extremely, like I say, I always say this every episode, but today, I, this is going to be a very, very valuable episode. So I just want to say right now to everybody that's listening, Make sure right now, if you're listening right now, make sure you share share the link to this episode with your girlfriend, your wife, your sister, your little cousin, your niece, all that. I mean, even like this is going to be for men too. It's going to be a lot of game in here for men as well. But I, I definitely want this to, to send, I definitely want y'all to send this to any uh, women that y'all value in y'all lives because I feel like this is going to be a lot of, um, a lot of gems and a lot of games that they could take from this. No pressure, D, but I'm just saying. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> no pressure, but I'm just saying. It's uh, I'm just saying. I think, I think, I think that's important to do. So, but before we start, let me first, first and foremost, say we would greatly appreciate if everybody right now they uh subscribe, rate, and leave a review on our podcast channel. We appreciate that so, so, so much. So, please, if you all could do that right now, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, so yeah, D, how you doing? Before we get into the show, how you doing? You know, I've been fighting this cold. Y'all trying to get over for about a week, but how you doing? I'm doing amazing. I'm having a beautiful day. I'm glad to be here on the show, you know, being the follow-up guest after last week's episode. I feel like that's a... Uh, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure, you know, that's a that's a lot to live up to, but I hope I can right. do justice. You can. I got faith in y'all. I know you will. But I, uh, so as y'all can see, yeah, man, uh, we did an episode like a couple months ago, it was real, like, it was like catered to me and like how uh, how I came up, my philosophies, the stuff I've done. And uh, on this week's episode, because we get a lot of, like, we get a lot of people to listen to Millionaire Mindsets. Y'all know we get tens of thousands of listeners, all, like every every episode. So, and a lot of times, especially women, they'll like DM me or they'll leave a message and they'll say stuff like, Man, we love y'all show, but man, can we get more perspective from Deanna? She's so quiet. We want to hear more about her perspective, her philosophies, her experiences and stuff like that. Can we hear more from her? And I'm like, hell yeah, you know, I'm all for it. But for y'all that don't know Deanna, that's her. That's just her personality. She real quiet like that. But today, y'all we're in for a special treat. 
Because I said, <laughs> you know, the, the people been waiting on this. And she got a lot of value, a lot of game to bring, especially as a, a for a woman that's only 24, that's done all the amazing and crazy things she's done in her life, the success, the success story she's had. And I feel like today is her is I'm well, it's her chance from I'm interviewing her today. So y'all gonna get the insight, the perspective, all that y'all wanted. Today's y'all, today's y'all day, y'all getting it. <laughs> Thank you for an amazing intro. I really appreciate it. that. Was the, I think that was the best intro you've ever done. I, I think so too. I, I I I would agree with that. <laughs> that is the I would say you know that's the best intro. You know. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. So we gonna get right into it. You know. Do you you know the question I ask everybody? But the people that's listening, they probably know your background. They familiar with you, but they probably don't know too much like on you. So, first question for. So what is your background? How you came up? Where you where are you from? Just give just give it all that. So for my background, um, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I lived there up until the age of 18 years old. I lived there with my entire family, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family. Um, you know, I grew up pretty, pretty normal, pretty much like everybody else in my situation. You know, I had my family around, my parents were, you know, very big very big parts of my life my mom and my dad um pretty chill though like I went to school out there I um got my very first job in Cleveland Ohio working at Marco's Pizza <laughs> so, I know you love you Marco's Pizza hey you know I'm a Marco's veteran but <laughs> but I was a pizza maker I started working at 15 years old so since 15 up until 24 I literally have been working almost every single day of my life um very first job from there I, uh you know it's time to graduate high school so I went to Charles Evan Brush High School I graduated in 2014 and literally from graduating in June up until going to November I was off to the military so I really had no like break in between to just you know like most people chill they stay at home trying to figure things out for a while but I pretty much had it set in my mind this is what I was going to do and I was going to do it and I knew the longer I waited, the more difficult it would be for me to leave, like my siblings and my parents. And at that point, I'm like, I'm just gonna just go. And I did it. Like I got on that plane, my first plane ride ever, but I got to all my stuff all by myself, went to Texas, did basic military training. And I honestly haven't looked back since. You know, I've been, I was raised to be a real um, independent person, especially by my mom. She raised me to be able to take care of myself and to always, you know, be able to self-sustain. And I've been living by that every single day. Mm, okay. So uh, what made you go to the military? What was what was the what was the uh the thought process behind that? So like I didn't have I didn't have I'm not gonna say I didn't have much, but I didn't have a lot of resources. You know, my family wasn't wealthy or anything like that and we all had to fit, pretty much figure it out on our own especially once we turned 18 and me just being very realistic with myself I knew I wasn't in a position to pay for college and I knew my parents wasn't in a position to pay for college and I was okay with accepting that I didn't feel the need going to college and um, getting student loan debt to help fund me to college especially because like at that point in time, I was only 17 years old. 
I did not know what I wanted to do. Like everybody thinks you're supposed to have it figured out before you go to college and you're supposed to move on to this next chapter of your life. But I honestly did not know. And I kept trying to come up with, well, maybe I could see myself being a doctor. Maybe I could see myself being a lawyer. Then at some point I was like, all right, well, maybe I could see myself being like a fashion designer and having my own boutique. But deep down, like deep down, I knew that wasn't it. Like it wasn't for sure what I wanted to do. So I knew like, I'm not gonna go to college. I'm not gonna waste my time. I'm not gonna waste my money. I'm not gonna waste my parents' money trying to figure it out. I knew if I went to the military, then at least I have some time before I need to have everything figured out. I can, you know, meet different people, learn a little bit more about life while still making income and still taking care of myself, taking care of myself, and then I could go to college for free. So for me, it just seemed like the better option to just go to the military rather than take that route of going to college and going into debt and then getting a degree that I probably wouldn't even use in the future or just overall being unhappy because I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. Okay. I mean, I, I think you could have been a doctor. You're very smart. I think, I mean, I think that would have worked out for you. <laughs> I, could, I could see you being a doctor, a lawyer or something like that, but it worked out for you regardless. Who knows? You still might do those things. Hey, you never know? know. I might jump into it one day, but I just knew in that point in time, I was in the right headspace to make that decision. All right, understood. So uh, the Air Force. So like you, I mean, you could have chose the Navy. You could have chose the Marines. You could have chose the Army, the Coast Guard. Why did you choose the Air Force? Well, when the idea of joining the military was first presented to me, my dad presented it to me, and he came at me from the perspective of joining the Air Force. No other branch was an option. Um, at least from his perspective. So once, you know, he started talking to me about going to the Air Force and how the Air Force really takes care of their people and all the benefits that will come out of being in the Air Force, I was pretty much sold on it. But I did have a cousin who was in the Army and she gave me her perspective from being in from the last year. And she recommended I didn't go to the Army. And she said, you know, it's definitely a better lifestyle for you to be in the Air Force is not as bad as being in the Army is not as um, demanding as being in the Marines. And of course, just knowing the culture and the history of the Navy, especially being such a male dominated branch, it wouldn't be like that if I went to the Air Force. So at that point, the decision just seemed pretty easy. And if you honestly, if you talk to anybody in the military, they recommend the Air Force first and foremost, just because a lot of people think it is the better branch, which I would agree with. True, it is the better branch. You know, I'm you know, I'm pro Air Force. But so uh okay, so you chose the Air Force and you you joined, you went to boot camp and all that. So like what was just real quick, boot camp real quick, because we got a lot of people to listen. Like I said, we got a lot of people to listen to this. And we got people that may be thinking about going to the military and all this stuff. So from a woman's perspective that went to the military, been there, done that, boot camp, what was boot camp like for you? Boot camp for me was an emotional experience. And I say that because being someone who, like I said, that was my first, first plane ride, I had been out of Cleveland like a couple times, but not by myself. So that right there was just 
emotional in itself because I was literally away from my family. I didn't have my support system. I was there with like 50 strangers from all over the world who I didn't know, who I, you know, really wasn't comfortable being around. And it's just like everything I knew within a matter of one day was completely gone. So for me, that very first week of being in um, being in boot camp was really rough, just because it was such a culture shock to me, and it was just such like a, a different experience. And it's just like they are rough on you that first week, just really because they're trying to set the tone for the rest of your time there. They're trying to you know just break you down and get into your head a little bit, and you're sleep deprived, you're tired, and it's just so much going on. So I would say, honestly, maybe weeks one to three are the hardest weeks to get through. And then after that, it's pretty much smooth selling. And that's just because now you've gotten adjusted to this new place you're in. You've fallen into the routine that they have you in every day. Um, You're not getting scrutinized as much because they have expectations of you now that you should know what you're doing while you're here. So after week three, things start to get pretty simple. And then week seven to eight is cake. They're pretty much done with you. They're ready for you to go. Those are the best weeks ever, especially while you're counting down to get out. So BNT, like everybody has like, you know, their own experience or their own perspectives of it, but it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, if I could get through it, anybody could get through it because before that, like I could be honest, I was not built for that. But once you're taken out of your comfort zone, that's when you really see what you're made out of. You was built for it. Don't say you wasn't built for it. He, <laughs> I thought you know, I wasn't built for it. Right, you thought you wasn't built for it. But so, uh, all right, so you get out of boot camp and all that. So what was your um, job in the military? I was a paralegal. Paralegal. And what is that? So a paralegal is pretty much an assistant to a lawyer. So just like the civilian sector, we have private law firms and they have their own paralegals. The military has their own um, legal offices who handles special, like specifically military cases. So we call it the JAG Corps, but we have our lawyers in there who are officers. And then if if you go into the enlisted side, then you'll be um, identified as a paralegal. Okay, makes sense. So at this point, is you like, um, man, and forgive me if my voice go out. Like I said, I told y'all I've been battling this illness, so my voice might be up and down at points. But <laughs> so is it at this point, is you like, you balling out yet? Because, you know, I know a lot of people under the impression when, when you go to the military, you like caked up, balling out. So like, was that the, was that the uh, case for you? Man. I, and we've talked about this before, but I was sick when I got out of um, BMT because thinking like, all right, I'm in there eight weeks. I haven't spent any money. I haven't seen my bank account because they take your phone. So I'm thinking like when I get out of BMT, I'm just about to be caked up. It's about to be like a couple G's in my account. I was sadly mistaken. That was not the case. I probably had about six, $700 in my account after BMT. And it's really because they charge you for a lot of expenses that comes out of your um, first few paychecks while you're in BMT. And then I went in as an airman basic, what is literally ground zero, like the lowest level you can be. And um, at that like stage in the military, you're making about five to 600 a check. So that's on me, like, I didn't really look into the pay system before I joined. I just assumed, like, okay, like, 
I'm going to be making good money just off the back, but you have to build your way up to that point. So the first, I would say my first um, nine months in the military, probably nine to maybe nine to 12 months were financially the roughest year, roughest um, months, because we weren't making that much. And it's just like, you're trying to adjust to this now. And so at this point, are you already someone that is financially literate or are you financially illiterate at this point? I would say I was still very financially um, illiterate, illiterate because I, um, I really wasn't, I was just taught to save money, you know, just always make sure you have a stash. But I didn't understand like how to actually budget your money out and how to, um, you know, just have an emergency fund or just how to invest your money. Like I had no idea about any of that. Like at this point in time, I was still only about 18 going on 19 years old. And I'm just so excited that I'm, you know, new to the military and I'm meeting all these people we were going out almost every weekend, every other weekend. So of course what com- comes with going out is you gotta pay for your, all your expenses, pay for food, pay for gas. And as a girl on top of that, new outfits almost every week, shoes, hair, like you you gotta do keep up with all this upkeep, but we're pretty much broke. Like we're not making that much money. So similar to how a lot of people describe like their college experience that first year in the military for me was like that it's just like a broke college student or a broke like military student just because we were just pretty much having too much fun and blowing all our blowing all our money because we had the mentality that well we're just gonna get paid again in two weeks so it's no big deal right so let me ask you this so when did the 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 transformation happen because this is only this is only you 24 now. So let's say roughly this is only four or five years ago that you, because you basically saying you was there broke. You ain't know about money. Now, fast forward four or five years later, you a uh, 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 six figure net worth woman on your way to being a millionaire. You own businesses, you own properties. You live in a, a nice lifestyle. So where did that, what did, what, what's the starting <laughs> point? Is basically what you live, what's the starting point? is basically my question. Uh, when did you start becoming financially literate and up on game and all that kind of stuff? I love when you gas me up. <laughs> but I was like, uh, people, you know, we've told this story a couple of times, but it happened in 2017. And I could be honest, like, prior to 2017, the most money I maintained in my bank account was probably like two to three grand. And it's just because I was young and reckless and I didn't know any better. So I was like, well, that's enough for me. Like, I don't have any major expenses. Um, I can still call on my dad if I really need money or, you know, I had you in my life. If I really need some money, like you're going to take care of it. So for me, it was just like, it was really not a big deal. But 2017 is when we really had that mental shift that, all right, I'm already two years into the military. And if I want to separate in two years, I cannot get out the military doing what I'm doing now. Like it's going to be impossible. And with everything in me, I knew that I wanted to get out at the end of my contract. So that's when we really had to get serious about our finances. So that's when we started like really budgeting, like creating a serious budget, um, putting our money into our savings account and not touching it. 
uh falling back on all of the extra stuff as far as like buying unnecessary things like may, we made a lot of sacrifices like a lot of sacrifices like honestly not buying myself stuff for real um just cutting back on like a whole bunch of unnecessary spending cooking at home like wherever we could cut corners those corners were cut so that we could reach those ultimate goals and then of course once we hit like our major savings goals of having like um twenty thirty thousand dollars then it was like all right from here now I need to learn how I can make this work for me now how I can take this money and flip it so that's when investing came into it now it's like all right you need to learn about stocks you need to learn about real estate you need to learn about all these different avenues out here so that you can really grow your money because as we all know letting your money just sit in your sitting your savings account is a waste of time to be honest like it's is really only so far you can go from there just letting it sit the best thing you can do with your money especially if you want to be wealthy and like have over a million dollars within a fairly short amount of time you got to put your money to work for you so that's pretty much what we did mm, that's real true and like you said uh sacrifices is something that was a big part of it like we did we it was a lot of points of time where we was uh, you know, obviously we was eating and, you know, you got to feed yourself certain, certain things you need for basic survival. But outside of that, we wasn't really doing stuff like that for a while. And I kind of, I, kind of, I honestly forgot about it until you just said, it. I'm like, yeah, man, we was kind of, we was like going on an extreme for a minute. But I think that's something that uh, that's um, necessary if you're truly serious about coming out of your uh, situation and being a, in a better place financially. So, yeah, yeah, you, you, I, I, I like what you're saying. So, um, so let's talk about now. Let's talk about this now. So, getting out the military, like, when did you get out the military? How did that process start? Was it any fear you had get on getting out? Was it like people trying to talk you out of it? So, my process getting out the military, I got out in 2018, in November of 2018. So you pretty much start prepping for it. Like, well, of course we started our personal preparation in 2017, but within my office space, they really start prepping for you to leave about a couple months out. So I would say like that January is when they really started to say, all right, like she's planning to leave. Let's start to prepare for her departure. And I would say from that standpoint, a lot of people in my office did not want me to leave. Like they were adamant about me staying in the military and, you know, progressing in my career field because I was good at it. I had a lot of potential and they wanted me to be put in a supervisory role and they wanted me to continue to do this because of course, um, looking at it from their perspective, they need to keep good people in, in order for their operation to move smoothly. So I definitely got like a lot of pushback from my coworkers about, you know, um, separating. Some were on my side. Some were like, you know, I can understand when you get out, want to get out. But a lot of were, a lot of people, and it's kind of like the culture in the military. They're just like, are you sure? Like, you know, it may not be what you think out there. And, you know, they throw a lot of different scenarios at you to pretty much make you second guess your decisions. But I, I stood firm. I stood strong on exactly what I wanted to do. Now, from my family's perspective, um, I think they also had some of those fears as well that they tried to project because it's like, all right, if you get out of the military and we see that you've been doing so well and, you know, you're taken care of, your bills are paid, you're doing good for yourself, where are you going to go from here? 
and trying to explain to people, hey, you know, I'm going to get out the military and I want to invest, da, 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 or I want to go be an entrepreneur is kind of scary because most people don't take that route. They can't understand why you're trying to take that route. So I definitely got it from both sides of the spectrum. But, you know, I believed in what I was doing. You believed in what we were doing. So I knew, like, I just had to stick with it and let it play out. You know, I made a tough decision deciding to go into the military. And here I am making another tough decision deciding to follow, like, my ultimate dreams and goals. So I, I was comfortable with doing that. But for those of you who may be, like, getting ready to separate the military, I definitely had those fears um, just because it's like no matter how confident you are in what you're going to do, it's still risky it's still a little scary because it's like, this is all I've known for the last four years. Like, this is my only taste of the adult world, especially within the workforce. So if I leave this and things don't work out, like, where do I go from here? So that definitely was like a thought I had at, um, a few a few times before I got out, but I just decided, you know what? Like, I have a plan. I have a very set strategic plan. And I'm just going to stick with it. And I started telling myself, remove all those doubts and fears because they do me no good. They just take away from the time and energy I could be focusing on making this work for me. So I let go of all those doubts and fears. I kept pushing forward. Um, I just, every time somebody tried to say something negative about me getting out, I just smiled it off and I stuck with it. And then when my time came around, I walked out of there with no regrets. And I was, you know, happy with my decision. I was at peace with it. And I enjoyed my time in the military, but I knew it was time for me to move on to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. So do you think, um, uh, so for other young people that may be thinking about it, whether it's young women or young men, do you think, cause I know this is a question, I know you probably get access all the time cause I know I do. Do you think a military is a, a good a good step? Even if you want to say, if you, say let's just say if you, even if you want to say stay in long-term, do you think a military is a good option for people? I think the military is a great option for people. Like, and being, just being real, I think a lot of people need to go to the military rather than just going to college. Because like I said, how I just knew personally, I wasn't ready for college. And I was a very mature person at my age. Then that just goes to, say, goes to show like a lot of other people really aren't ready for it, but they just jump into it because that's what other people tell them to do. And, you know, everybody has these negative perspectives on the military, but the military taught me like a lot about myself. Um, it taught me a lot about handling my um, finances. It taught me a lot about the real world. Um, and it taught me a lot about structure and being disciplined. You know, like those are things I've been, I, I just wrapped up my bachelor's degree and those were not conversations that we had throughout my time in college. Um, you know, just being structured and disciplined and just normal things, knowing you should know as a adult as far as like taxes and finances and investing, those weren't really conversations that were had. So like during my time in the military, those were conversations that we had. Those were things that I learned. So it definitely forced me to grow up. It taught me a lot about life and it gave me a lot of perspective. And it just overall, I feel like made me a better person. It made me actually ready to go out into the real world. So I would recommend it for anyone who's thinking about joining the military. I think it's a great stepping stone as long as you do what you're supposed to do while you're in the military. All right. I, I, I agree as well. I think it's a, if you, if you got, a, like I always say, if you got a plan, 
it could be a, it could be a um it could be a hell of a hell of a stepping stone. Even if you don't want it to be a stepping stone, you want to make a career out of it. I think it could be a great because it's just experience. You know, like college is you learning a lot, which is great. But military is like that actual real world experience. Like you actually in it, you doing it. Ain't no like you in the fire immediately. And I think, in my opinion, that's the best way to learn. So, all right. So uh, you get out the military. When did you get out the military? One month. Well, you, my month. You got okay. So November 2018, you got out the military. I, I I was just thinking about this. So in December of 2018, millionaire mindsets came into existence. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an interesting. That's a, that's hey, that's a um, whole combo in itself. And I just want to say this real quick for the people that don't know this: the, the name millionaire mindsets. Deanna, she's the one that came up with that name. Like you know, what I'm saying we we came about want to start a podcast. She was like. Let's name a million on mindsets. I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's that sounds good to me. But so like, you got like what was, you got out in November and million on mindset starting in December. So like, was that strategic? Was that like when you got out, you knew like, oh, let me get hit the ground running. Let me start doing stuff. Like, what was your mindset getting out? Now you being on your own. I would say, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It wasn't as strategic within those first few weeks as I wanted it to be. I think those first few weeks for me was now I have all this time on my hands. Let me learn. So that's when I started trying to understand what other opportunities were out there. Because for my job, it was very demanding. Like I worked extremely long hours in the um, in the military. Sometimes I was working weekends. Sometimes I was working to like six seven o'clock at night. So I didn't have that much time to like really dive into a lot of different topics the way I wanted to. So while I had those like first few weeks out in the military is when I was just like absorbing as much information as I could. And honestly, I feel like that's kind of what birthed Millionaire Mindsets too, because now I could bring all these new ideas that I had and all these new goals and ambitions to you and we can brainstorm together. And if I remember correctly, that's really how Millionaire Mindsets was birthed. Cause we just like, we have really deep conversations on a regular basis. Like we talk about a lot of stuff, we analyze things together and just, we kept saying these conversations that we're having, other people need to hear these conversations too. So that was really where it came from. It was like, all right, well, let's just start recording this and let's put out a podcast. And once we came up with the idea of making a podcast, of course, I was like, well, what are all these other things we could do with the podcast? And let me start learning about building a brand and doing certain things to help us grow this and to get people engaged with us. And that was just a whole another thing in itself. But Millionaire Mindsets, that wasn't like the original plan. That definitely, you know, getting into real estate and getting my notary license, that was like my plan for getting out. But Millionaire Mindsets was something special that came organically within those first few weeks of being out. And that honestly was like a, a great decision. Uh, uh, amazing decision, because it's, it's 2021 and it's, it's came into a whole Thing it's a it's a zone that we I mean me and you we can't express how great we, grateful we is for the uh, people that's been rocking with us on this journey. But let me make a quick pause and make a shout out to our first sponsor. Just to let you guys know, this episode is sponsored by the Lessons in the Life of Luxury by Deanna Kent. You could go <laughs> check out her YouTube channel. I just gave y'all the name and subscribe. Watch our first video that was released today. 
is uh, New Beginnings that she's going over a lot of these things we're talking about and more. So go subscribe to her, to her channel, support her channel, all that good stuff. And we greatly appreciate it. I'm, I'm pretty sure she greatly, greatly yes. appreciate it. So definitely subscribe to her YouTube channel. So getting right back <laughs> into the show. So, uh, yeah, so, okay. So you uh, got out and then you knew you. So you becoming a, 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 a notary public. That was the first step you did when you got out? Uh, I got my notary license and my real estate license simultaneously. So those okay. were, in addition to starting school like that January. So I got out in November and I was in school by January full time for my bachelor's degree. I worked to get both of those licenses. Okay, okay. So uh, what what made you what made you want to get a notary license first? And, and then we'll, we'll go into real estate from there. So I learned about being a notary public from actually being in the military. So as a paralegal, we were required to do notary acts as a free service to other military members within um, the base. So I was trained on how to be a notary public and I was given like my, um, my pretty much federal rights to be a notary public in the military. So I knew once I got out, that was a great option to have just to just make money on the side. So once I got out, I just knew I had to go through the process of getting licensed in the state of California so that I could get my notary license. But that's where that originally came from. I did it my entire four years in the military. Okay, so uh, what was that like? So how did you get the license? And uh, for the people that's listening, that may be interested in that, like, how does that work? Why is it beneficial to become your own uh, public notary? And how, how can you make money doing that and all that? Uh, so becoming a notary public, it was super easy for me. Now, every state has their own requirements for becoming a notary public. Like the state of Texas, I believe it's just a matter of filling out an application and um, getting approved. But for California, we did have to take a, a class, a six hour long class, which I did in one day, and then you had to take a test. So the class I went to, they offered all that in um, a one day just setting. So took the six hour long class, and then we did a test, which was about 30 questions. And then from there, you just wait a couple weeks for them to give you your results. So once I got my, my results back, you just have to file some paperwork with the um, with the county office and just file your license paperwork with them and get your insurance and get all your supplies. And from there, you're free to go and do as you please as, as a notary public, as long as you follow all the rules and regulations for the state of California. So if anyone is thinking about getting their notary license, I think it's a great, great side hustle, but it's one of those things where it's not gonna be passive income. You do have to put those hours in for it to actually be beneficial. Um, I was a traveling notary public, so that you also have to account for the time that it takes to go into that, drive into all these different places, plus actually doing the appointments, which can really you know eat up your entire day. But I would say it's very worth it because on many occasions, I did about maybe a 15, 20 minute signing and walked away with $100. So for me, that's like, all right, like an hour in my day and I just made $100, like bet I could do that. So being a notary public, it's all about how much time and effort you put into it. And just, you know, just making sure you put that work in, but it could be extremely lucrative. So you could take, man, so you could take 10, 20, 30, 40 minute, Start your day and go sign 
go uh, notarize the documents and make fifty, a hundred dollars. That that simple, huh? Yeah, especially for California because the normal rate per signature per notarization is fifteen dollars. So if I come there and I do, let's say, two to three signatures, that's already forty-five dollars on top. And if I traveled there, I'm charging you fifty dollars minimum. And if I have to go a certain amount of miles, I'm tacking on ten dollars for you know as further as the distance goes out. So that's already fifty dollars for travel, almost fifty dollars for um for the actual notarization itself. And then of course, I always got tips. So whenever I went out, people gave me tips. A lot of people gave me like twenty dollars tips. So at that point, that's already. 100 plus profit for me. And then just other services, like if I mailed the documents out or if I printed papers for them, I'll charge like a few extra dollars for that. But yeah, 15, 20 minutes, because it's just a matter of I watch you sign the paper and then I go ahead and notarize it and I'm done and out the door. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing because I think that's something that if you listen to this and you're thinking about getting your side hustle and making you some money, I think that's a great lane for you because that's, you take a test, you pass the test, and you start your own uh, start start being a uh, notary public. That's dope, man. I think I think that's a that's a, uh, that's heavy for a lot of people. So you start doing that, and then you got your real estate license as well. So what like what got you on real estate? What made you want to do that? Uh, real estate was just something that was always a topic of conversation for. I would say the last like two years before I got out of the military, it's just like I seen a lot of people in the real estate industry, especially becoming realtors. And I was really interested in getting out and trying it myself. So I was like, you know, when I get out, I definitely want to dive into real estate. I've always enjoyed like architecture and just things about houses and just exploring and seeing these different houses. So I was like, you know, this is something I could definitely see myself doing and actually liking. So once I um, separated the military to get my real estate license in California, I want to say that was about a three to four month process because the actual educational piece of getting your real estate license is a lot longer than the notary process, which can be done in a day. That definitely took about um, two to three months to complete that course for me. And then you have to go take the test. The test was over a hundred questions and you have to um, get, I want to say over like a 70 or 75% to actually be considered passing for the real estate test. So that was a, a longer process, but yeah, I, I was just always interested in others and seeing how they work the industry. And I just wanted to jump into it myself. Hmm. Okay. So are you uh, buying properties at this time period too, or are you just trying to become a realtor at this point? So I actually got into the investing side prior to the real estate side, because a lot of people have the, just like I did at this point in time, you think that having a real estate license can advance your career as an investor when technically the two do not really go hand to hand. Um, you could do one without the other just fine. Like you don't really need to get it. But I, I jumped into real estate investing first. I got my first property literally two months after being out the military. The entire process took about two months for us to close on our first property after separating. And what was that like? Uh, the break, process, break, just, yeah, just break it down the process, the deal, all that. The process was pretty smooth. Um, this is something I talked about in my YouTube video, but I was actually watching YouTube videos 
and I found a YouTuber on there who was in real estate investing and she had been buying properties in Baltimore for under $20,000. And I was just like so shocked to hear that that was even possible. Like I thought if anybody was gonna buy a house, it was gonna cost you like a substantial amount of money. And I'm like, all right, well, I got $20,000. I could buy my first investment property. This shouldn't be too hard. So I started doing my research. Um, I started connecting with people in Detroit and I found me a pretty decent realtor who started helping me look for a property that met that criteria of being under $20,000. And we ended up finding a property that was listed at 16,000 and we had it, it was already tenant occupied. So that was just perfect. I'm like, this is literally the most perfect deal ever. The property's under 20,000 um, and it's already tenant occupied, already cash flowing. And the property was in really decent shape. So I think we did great for like our very first um, investment property. But yeah, my realtor, she helps me out a lot. She walked me through the entire process. She helped me with all the paperwork. And another person that helped a lot was actually the inspector. So the person who inspected the house, he knew that I was an out-of-state investor. And after he inspected the house, he called me um, after sending the report. And knowing that I was new to this, he really sat down with me and broke everything down that was in the report and then gave me his overall opinion as to whether or not it would be a good investment. And from his perspective, he was like, the house is in decent shape. Um, you won't really have too much to worry about. And he recommended I go ahead and purchase. So that was definitely um, some great advice that I needed to hear because I was a little skeptical even still, like, even though the numbers made sense, I was still so far away and I had never been to Detroit. I was still like, all right, like I'm still a little shaken, but hearing him give me like that solid go ahead is what really boosted my confidence to go ahead and close on the deal. So okay. once we um, wrapped up all the paperwork, the deal closed pretty quickly. And before you know it, like it was our property and it was cash flow our first rental property. So, because uh, I know this is something that a lot of people wonder when you talk about stuff like this, because did you go to Detroit to see your property in person? I never, before purchasing, I never saw that property in per person. Okay. So see? I saw pictures of it. I had, you know, other people go view, but I never actually went there to walk through that property. Mm. See, th that is very interesting because a lot of people will say, like, Wow, what gave you that confidence to, to to close on that and actually do that? Being all the way in California, and this is all the way in Michigan, and you've never seen the property. How do you how do you know you wasn't gonna get scammed? Was nobody gonna take your money? Like, what gave you the courage to to actually go through and and, and close on that? I mean, it was really just our conversations with one another and just saying like, this is something we want to do, and the only way it's gonna work out is if we pull the trigger. Now, okay, like we can't physically be there to go see it, but we've sent other people in there. We've had other people vouch for the property. We've seen pictures, we got the report. Now is the ball is in our court. Now it's on us to, you know, pretty much just decide whether or not we're gonna take on this risk. And for us, like we chalked it up to, hey, like it's only $16,000. So I, I know for a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's a lot of money, but for us in that moment of time, it was like, I could take a $16,000 loss um, trying to take a risk on this because it was a great deal. 
So with that in our mind, like, hey, like I'm not afraid to take this risk. We just push forward with it. And it was like, if things don't work out, I learned a lesson and I'm just keep it, you know, keep it moving forward and keep doing what I got to do to actually make this work. But luckily for us, everything worked out in our favor. And we ended up going to see the property about five or six months later after purchasing Mm -hmm. to finally, you know, go check it out for ourselves. But yeah, I mean, it was just having that confidence (coughs) to take a risk. Okay. That's risk. Risk is a very important part. So like, what are some of the things that you have to have set up? Because uh, that all that couldn't go well without the proper, the proper systems, the proper things in place to make sure it flows efficiently. So what are some of the things that you have to set up to make sure everything was going to go well with this property? How you were going to be able to collect your rent? You know what I'm saying? You was going to be able to have things fixed, fix things up if stuff went wrong, all that stuff. So... Um, before, like, to ensure that everything was smoothly, of course, I made the decision to make contact with the tenant. I introduced myself to her. I um, let her know who I was. I, you know, found out what all her concerns were, asked her questions. We we spent about an hour or two on the phone really just getting to know each other. And I wanted her to feel comfortable trusting us as the new owners of the property while she's going to be living there. So that was my first um one of the first things I did. And then on the other side of that is I started connecting with people out there. So I knew I had my realtor who, of course, she wouldn't mind ever going to go check on it, but we had to get property management in place. That was going to be the biggest thing. I spent a lot of time researching property managers out in Detroit. And I found one after talking to him for about 30 to 45 minutes, I felt comfortable letting him go on to um, be our property manager. So he, you know, we hired him as the property manager. And the good thing about him is that he had a construction company in addition to his property management company. So if anything went wrong with the property, of course he could just send his construction um, guys out there to go check it out and fix it and handle all repairs. And plus they had the property management side where they could handle all the money and handle the day-to-day operations of the property. So that worked out for us for a couple months before we decided to, like we talked about, go ahead and fire them and hire our new property manager, which is above ground property management. Okay. Okay. So two things. First, I want to say, uh, how did you find property management, contractors, and all this stuff being in California and this is in Michigan? Then my second question is, what what happened where you had to fire the property manager that you just spoke on? I'll say don't underestimate the power of a simple Google search. A lot of people don't um a lot of people don't take how how easy it is to just get on Google and find what you need to find. And that's all it was for me is just Google search after Google search after Google search. And I wasn't afraid to look at their websites very thoroughly, read their reviews, read their Google reviews, read their Yelp reviews, and actually call and talk to these people before I transfer any money or made any final decisions. So I called and talked to a couple people and I ended up going with the person who made pretty much made the most sense in that point in time to work with. But it's Google searches, calling and talking to people, 
and if possible, asking for recommendations. Those are the biggest things that I would say that you should rely on. For our property manager, though, the first one we hired, things did go smoothly for a couple of months, but I don't know if it was change of management or new people in the office, but we ran into issues with money being mishandled. And that's why we ended up firing them because it was a lack of communication about the issue. And then of course you're already mishandling my money. And um, I will say if you're out of state, be very thorough with your numbers. I always make sure to go in and calculate all the repairs, all the expenses, you know, what money was coming in, what money was going out. And I kept track of those numbers really well. And that's how I caught the mistake. Most people, especially out-of-state investors, they're not so diligent about checking those numbers. And that's how a lot of people take advantage of them. So be thorough about checking your records and getting reports every single month about how the money's being handled. And that'll definitely um, save you a lot of headache in the future. But me catching that mistake immediately and then us getting that issue resolved as soon as possible so that we could continue to run a smooth operation was just our biggest goal. Okay, makes a lot of sense. So uh, was that following the, the next properties you obtained, was that a similar strategy? Uh, as far as like, like getting, five, them, getting them out of state, like undervalued properties and stuff like that. Yep, so we continued on with that strategy and it worked in our favor. I mean, I didn't see no need to to um, try anything else because this was working so well. And it was only, it wasn't a lot of capital being put up for these deals. So for us, we just continued with what made sense for us. We got a few more properties under our belt and, you know, we just continued to move on from there. But, you know, your real estate strategy, it can change, but if something works for you and it, it doesn't cause you any issues, then by all means, continue on with that same real estate strategy. Mm, oh man, I love that. I said that's something I agree with her wholeheartedly because something like real quick, I want, real quick, I want to touch on this is like you got to create your own belief systems when you like when you figuring out how to invest, whether it's going to be stock market, real estate, or even with your businesses. You got to experience stuff, and then your experiences that's what's going to get you your own belief system. Then when you have your own belief system, you have to have the courage and the and the confidence to stick with it. Because so many times, when you have your own system, you'll see other people's systems that'll work for them. You might see somebody else do a crazy like let's let's just say this. Let's say if you got your own stock belief system and you see somebody make a crazy play, like you see stuff that might be going on right now. You see what stuff that's going on with GameStop, AMC, and stuff like that. And you may I'd be like. Your play might be nothing like that. You might just like look for strictly go on like value companies and long-term holds. That might be your belief system. But you see people hitting thousand percents and 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 what they what they doing, you might get off your belief system and jump on that just to see, like, man, let me see if this works. Then when it goes bad, you like, damn. So you have to like you first of all, you have to figure out what your belief system is, but you're only gonna get there through experience. So try to experience stuff, experience as much as you can, and that's gonna give you your own philosophies. You don't want anybody, it's cool to, to know what other people are saying, take game from other people, but at the end of the day, you wanna create your own philosophies. And the only way to do that is through experience. So you get experience, have your own philosophies, belief system, and you stick to that shit. You, you swear by it. 
you know what I'm saying? You be confident enough to swear by that belief system because that's what's going to get you from A to Z for real. Just sticking by that and not getting off script just because you see other people doing popular shit and quick wins like that. Because other people quick wins, that might be your quick L just because you hopping on them at the wrong time. So when you, I'll say it one more time, when you, when you figure out your system, whatever that is, I don't care if you're in real estate, I don't care if you're in stocks, I don't care whatever industry you're in, I don't care if you're in art, whatever you got, if it's winning, it's, I'm talking right now specifically if it's winning. Now, if you got a belief system that's, that's L's, that's constant L's, you need to change up. You need to figure out like, all right, let me do something different. But if you got a system that you swear by and it's winning, don't get off that. Don't get off it just for a, for a quick, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's okay to diversify, do different things. If you did your research and know you're pretty confident it's going to work, but without doing your research, don't jump off that belief system. So I'm glad uh, Deanna said that. So let me ask you this now. So when did, because uh, we know uh, you co-founded Park Hill Capital. So when did that take place for, was that the first company you started? And what was the reasoning behind for starting uh, Park Hill Capital? Arcade Capital was the very first company that I started. I started it. I officially filed the papers for Park Hill Capital that January of 2019. And Park Hill Capital originally started out as just being our business for handling all of our investments. That's what we were solely focused on. But throughout our journey of real estate investing and, of course, having a podcast and building a brand, we see how many other people lack the proper knowledge of knowing how to get in real estate. So we wanted to make it a point to offer something to others at an affordable rate in which they can learn how to get in real estate and avoid all those beginner mistakes that we made and have a successful real estate journey. So that's when Park Hill Capital kind of took a transition and we decided, all right, well, Let's open ourselves up to educating people and providing them with the proper information that they need so that they can be um, successful real estate journeys, getting started in their real estate career. I, I, I love that. I love that. Because like you said, it is something that a lot of people, especially younger people that want to get involved in real estate, they struggle with knowing how to do it, specifically when you're talking to people that's not investing where they live, but they invest in somewhere that's extremely far away from where they at? So I think that's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, it's a lot of power in that helping people do that. So what is some of the things for for the listeners who don't know that you do within Park Hill that help people? Services that Park Hill Capital offers. I definitely wanted to make sure we had a diverse um, group of services out there so we could fit every investor's needs. But our first service is something I recently started, especially during the pandemic when I realized, you know, a lot more people were trying to get into real estate, but they were just seeking a more affordable option is our real estate mastery group, which has gotten a lot, a lot of positive feedback from all our members. But the real estate mastery group meets two times each month. We will do a training on a very specific real estate topic. The second Monday of the month, which is our first training, and that may just be with me or Xavier or with a guest that I decide to bring on for that month. And our second training of the month will be us working on actual actionable items and putting that stuff into practice. So for example, this past January, our um, first training of the month was all about setting a real estate, creating a real estate plan and strategy for the year moving forward. 
And then our second training of the month was actually, okay, let me hear all your real estate plans and strategies. Let's critique them with one another. Let's go over and talk about what you could do better or what you should change in order to make sure you accomplish your real estate goals. So it's very hands-on, it's very interactive. Um, and, you know, it's all about making sure we can support one another, network with one another, and make sure we all accomplish our real estate goals. So that's the Real Estate Mastery Group. And if something you're interested in, definitely hit me up about it and I can make sure you get set up. And then we have our Real Estate Mentorship Program, which is a one-on-one -on -one experience for those individuals who prefer to learn alone and to get that one-on-one -on -one help from us as a mentor. But even with the mentorship program, you do get access, free access to the real estate mastery group. So that's already just a plus that comes with it. You can log on and check out all that content there and apply it how you see fit. But the mentorship program is pretty much a eight week program where it's step-by-step -step walking you through each part of the process for purchasing your first real estate investment property and it's tailored to fit your individual goals. So just because we have the, the eight-week plan, we still tailor it to make sure that we're able to work at your pace and to make sure we get things done in a way that fits your needs. So it's not limited to eight weeks, though. Um, you can extend it out however long you need to. It's a one-year um, access thing, but it's definitely great. We've already had at least, I want to say three to four different people within our mentorship program purchased their first or even are on their second or third investment property. So it's definitely very beneficial. Um, we build a real close-knit relationship with it and we just put the work in to make sure you accomplish all your goals. So you have those two options. Um, if you want to work with us, if you want to connect with us on the real estate side of things, that I definitely recommend looking into and if you're just looking for some general advice on how to get started, of course, we offer our 30-minute um, consultation call, which you can always check out before you jump into the other major programs where we could just talk, um, just assess where you're at, ask some questions, you know, just give you some advice on how to move forward. So that's three different options for you if you want to get into real estate and you want to work with us fits me every budget and all very, very beneficial, no matter which one you choose to go with. Okay, so <clears throat> okay, so y'all heard it. So those of y'all who who interested in getting involved in real estate, she just gave y'all the whole breakdown, and I'm gonna make sure I put the um as usual. I'm gonna make sure I put the links in the uh, description of the show. But so um, I want to talk about this for a second because I know this is something that you got into last year, and it's um kind of it got it got kind of popular, and a lot of people, a lot of people um are interested in this because it's a lower entry point compared to real estate. And that's, excuse me, and that's mobile homes. And I know, shout out to Mobile Home Elite. And shout out shout out to Byron and Sharnice. I know you was on their, uh, their, their show and you broke down some of the things you did. So just talk about um, mobile home investing. Like what got you into that? And like, how can a person, because I feel like this is a very, very valuable information. How can somebody get into mobile homes and make money? Either whether from a buyer's side or a wholesaler side. So shout out to Tara, because Tara was the very first person to mention mobile homes to me when she broke down her very first deal. Shout um, out for Stackers Only. For Stackers Only. And then Byron and Shanice, of course, taking their course was just icing on top to get me started. But I always have the mentality with anything that I do is I'm not afraid to try stuff. That's like one thing for certain about me. I'm not afraid to try things. Um, 
you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm okay with that. But if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And mobile homes was definitely one of those things last year where I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy a mobile home. And I told, and I'm pretty sure I wrote that down on my um, yearly goals is I was going to buy a mobile home each quarter, which I exceeded that goal. But that was something I just wanted to try out and see how. Oh, talk, 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 <laughs> talk your shit down. Okay, boss, yeah. boss ladies, I see you. Go ahead. Go. But yeah, that was a, that was definitely something I wanted to get into. So I would say my first first one went pretty like I did I, I started off with the intention of wanting to fix and flip them but you know things change priorities change and I decided I would just tackle it from a wholesaler's um standpoint so my first deal I bought for 1800 which I definitely should have negotiated lower but I bought it for 1800 and I flipped that one for three thousand dollars like within like less than three weeks maybe um, resold that one. And then from there, I started building out a team and connecting with other parks within Ohio. I was doing this virtually, of course. So I started connecting with other people in Ohio. And my team, we ended up um, flipping about three to four more like that summer. So we had three to four more deals which we all, we got them all under contract for less than $4,000. And then we pretty much uh, flipped them and made a good amount of profit off of them. And of course, split it down the middle. But mobile homes, I definitely recommend, like if you're looking for like a lower entry point to get into mobile home, into real estate, mobile homes is definitely where it's at because they offer you all the same luxuries of just getting into residential real estate. You could wholesale them, you can fix and flip them, you could rent them out, you could do pretty much everything you could do with a residential property with a mobile home. And it's at a way lower entry point. Way lower. Way lower. All the ones I, I personally touched were less than $5,000. And that's just a matter of, you know, talking to park owners, actually getting out there and seeing the mobile homes looking on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace are all great resources for finding those cheap mobile homes. But it's definitely possible if you want to just get your get your feet wet, I mean, to put it that way, to, you know, get in real estate and learn a few things here and there. I would start off with mobile homes until you stack up some money and get a little experience under your belt and jump into the residential side of it. Understood. So let me ask you this, because I know, Mobile home process is a different process from actually just purchasing homes. And, you know, mobile homes come with parks and parks come with parks owners, park owners. So, like, uh, just going to the differences of that and, like, how is it dealing with park owners? And even if you're dealing with a park owner, that's a pain in the ass. Like, how can you still get deals done under those circumstances? So purchasing a mobile home is completely different from purchasing a residential property. First off, the time difference for purchase. A mobile home can be transferred literally within one day. A residential property at minimum, you're at minimum, you're gonna probably see about two weeks to actually close on that on that deal, but most likely it's gonna be 30 to 45 days for closing. So for a mobile home, you're just gonna be no for a mobile home. Um, you're going to be dealing with the seller. And if the seller isn't the park owner, then you're dealing with park owners as well. So the seller and the park for a residential property, you're just dealing with the seller. 
So that's the only um, other person within that transaction. But from the mobile home side of things, like I said, you can close on that within a day. You're not transferring a deed, but you're transferring a certificate of title. And you just have to make sure all the taxes are caught up and things in that nature. But before you can actually purchase the mobile home, in most instances, you need to go get approved by the park. So that's another layer that you got to go through to actually purchase the mobile home. Um, every park is going to have their different requirements for getting approved, whether it's income requirements, credit requirements, or background check requirements. But you have to pass their initial process. And, miss, and most parks do require you to put down a deposit. So that may be first and last month's rent or whatever number they come up with, but you have to handle that before you can actually go ahead and purchase that mobile home from the seller. Now, once you're done with all that, which should take you about maybe a week or two to complete that process, then you hit up the seller, hey, I'm approved, I'm ready to go ahead and close. And that should take you just a day to get that um, process done with them. So mobile homes can be a pretty smooth process, but again, your biggest obstacle with closing on the mobile home is going to be the park. Now, a lot of parks are not investor friendly. They don't like to have different people coming in the park to pretty much, as they see it, take advantage of the park and the people living there. Um, they don't like investors. A lot of investors kind of leave a bad taste for park owners because they come in saying they're going to do one thing and they don't execute. So it's, it's definitely had, it's built a bad reputation for investors, but it's all about how you present yourself and, you know, you let them, your, let them know your goals, be upfront about what you're trying to do because you don't want them to find out after the fact, and that's just going to cause a bunch of problems in itself. So be upfront with the parks if you're going to, if you're planning to invest, if you're planning to um, flip it, or if you're planning to um, rent it out because subleasing is also another thing you have to make sure it's going to get approved first before you actually do that. But once you're done with the park owners, it should be smooth selling from there. I've had my difficulties dealing with park owners just because a lot of them, um, I would just say they're territorial. They're territorial and they don't like outsiders. So you kind of got to really come in there and be assertive and firm in your approach. And if they don't want to work with you, cool. If they don't want to work with you, move on and find somebody else who will. But just let them know, like a lot of parks do need that help. They do need people to come in and fix up these properties and, you know, increase their value and bring them more quality tenants into their park. So definitely show them how you can be a value, but don't be afraid to walk away from the deal if they're giving you a lot of pushback and don't be afraid to stand your ground. Like they're not your boss. You don't owe them anything. And it's a million other deals out there. So I'll just give you that piece of advice. Park owners can be difficult to deal with um, depending on where you're at and who they are. But again, like there's always other deals out there. Just don't be afraid to move on. You don't have to take anybody's BS just to close a deal. Mm, mm, I like that. I like that because it, 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 it can be a lot of uh, uh, BS when you're dealing with people. So. Yeah, I, I, I like that. So let me ask you this. And I feel like this is an important question because, you know what I'm saying, you, you you went over a lot of stuff, you went to a lot of stuff. And once again, like I said in the beginning, you're only 24 years old. So a lot of people hearing this, you got to, I think that's important to keep in mind because a lot of times people can have the, 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 uh, the, uh, the thinking that, 
just because you're young, it gives you an excuse to not be financially stable, financially independent. Like people use that excuse a lot. Like, oh, I'm only 25. I got all my life to get my stuff together. But you're only 24 and you're doing all these things. You own several properties. You own businesses, all this stuff. You invest in crazy and got a got a, a national podcast. Like, what's the, um? like I said, just four or five years ago, and, and you know, no, no, no offense to you. You was just broke. So like, what's, so what's that? Like, how put can me out there like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's that? Like, like, how can, like, what's that blueprint? And I know a lot of people, they look for like a, uh, some secret sauce or some crazy, some crazy book to read or something, but like, what's that truly that blueprint in your opinion for you to, for somebody to change their life within that short time period? If you want to, if I would say anything is going to be a secret sauce, I would say it's as simple as just knowing where you want to be in life. That's the only secret to this is knowing where you want to be and putting in the work to be there. Because, you know, like I said, a few years ago, I was at a point where I didn't want to, you know, I was broke. I didn't have much and I didn't see my life going in the direction that I wanted to be in. But once I figured that out, that I want to go in a particular direction, I want very specific things for my life. I want to live a very specific lifestyle. Everything changed. My habits changed. Um, my outlook changed. My mentality changed. And that was my turning point. So like going with, into what you said, like um, doing this in your young 20s, I'm not trying to wait till I'm in my 30s to start enjoying life. I'm not trying to wait to I'm like 30 pushing 40 to begin my money right so that I can enjoy the fruits of my labor. I want that now. Like I want to have these opportunities and these experiences while I'm young and while I'm in my 20s. That's just the life I see for myself. So in order for me to have that, I have to do certain things in order to have these certain luxuries. So for me, that's all I needed. That was the only um the only change in point, the only motivation for me is this is the lifestyle I want. All right, here are the things I need to do. I'm not one of those people who get like wrapped up in age. Like I'm not like, oh, you know, these are my 20s. I'm supposed to be doing this. Okay, now I'm in my 30s. I'm supposed to be. That doesn't matter to me. I, all I focus on is I have one life. I have a new day, a new opportunity. Every day I wake up to make something out of this one life that I get. So I'm not trying to put a timeline on it. I'm not trying to go by anybody else's rule book of how I should live my life. Every day I'm striving to make sure I live the life that I wanna live every time I wake up. So for me, that's my motivation. If you're in your twenties, I will sit down and take a hard look. If you wanna party your twenties away and that's what makes you happy, by all means do it, like so be it. But if you want to live a very specific lifestyle and you don't want to have to wait until you're in your 30s or until you've let so much time pass you by and been through so much stuff, then change the trajectory of your life. Start doing what you need to do today, right now, to make those things happen for you. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. So, like, what about, because I know people, a lot of people, they might hear that and they say, man, I don't got the resources to do all that. Well, I might not have the, the the support system to do all that at, at at this early age or something. Like, what's your um, what would be your response to that? My advice is quit making excuses. 
it may be a little mm-hmm. harsh, but it's quit making excuses. There's so many people who get it out the mud with way less. So many people literally come from nothing, who are dirt poor, and they make something out of themselves. And that's because they didn't make excuses. They put their head down and they went to work. I don't need nobody to support me. I can support myself. I can motivate myself and I can push myself to do what needs to be done. And that's the same mentality that you should have on it. You know, it's no, like I said before, it's no secret sauce. Um, you don't need a million self-help book, help books. You don't need people to tell you that you're capable of doing it. All you need is to have that belief in yourself that you can do it and then to actually do it. Don't make excuses. Don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself and get off social media comparing your life to other people. Like focus on your life. That's another major thing. Put the focus on your own life. I don't, I take several social media breaks. I don't get wrapped up in other people's business. I focus on my life and what I'm doing. And that's what keeps me focused. You got to cut out all those distractions. Mm. Uh very well put, you know. I, I definitely, man, you 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 preaching right now. I think that could um be beneficial to a lot of people, especially like I said, especially like um women, because like I said all the time, we get feedback from people they and they want to hear you talk about your story, the stuff you've been through, and advice and stuff like that. And a lot of times it comes down to you know these conversations we have with like other people and stuff. Like, excuse me, especially like uh young women. Damn, man, my voice going hoarse and stuff. Especially like young women, they be like, um, I know relationships play a big part of that, you know? Like, as you know, relationships play a big part of uh, them feeling like stuff holding them back. And, you know, we we seen, we seen it. I can't tell you how many times we've seen it. But what's, what's your, like being somebody that's only 24, you're in a relationship, you've been through the military, been in a relationship for a minute. Like, what's your opinion on that? Like, do you think, do you think is, uh, would be more beneficial or is it, it is beneficial for people to get in relationships at such a young age, committed relationships at such a young age? I don't think so. And man, get into a relationship at a young age. I don't think that should be your primary focus. And that's just because, and like I want to say, even though I um, got into a relationship at 19, I would just say I found somebody who was very driven very focused, who's a little older than me. So was at a different point in his life, but also shared the same goals and ambitions as me. So I'm not saying that it's impossible, but you can have a situation like mine where it can really work in your favor. But for the average person, I think you need to spend at least up into your, I would say at least 23, 24, focusing on yourself. Because you need to, in order for you to have like a good, solid, successful relationship, you need to be, you need to know who you are first. Because if you don't really know who you are, you're going to go into a relationship and it's just going to cause like a bunch of difficulties and a bunch of stress because you're young. You don't really know what you want. You're still figuring that stuff out for yourself. And now you're worried about somebody else too. So I would say give yourself like those first like, um, four to five years after turning 18 to really just put that focus on yourself, figure it out who you are, kind of build a foundation for yourself, um, p- pretty much stack your money, 
just get to know yourself and figure out exactly what it is you want so that you know when you go out there and start trying to find a partner, you can find somebody who shared those same goals and ambitions and who's on the same page as you rather than just getting caught up in all the, the fluff when you're out there and getting into all these you know broken relationships because you didn't take the time to really put that focus on yourself to make sure you wouldn't settle for anything less than what you deserve. Mm, I love it. I love it. And yeah, that's, that's, um, that, that's, that's a, that's a bar. I like it. <laughs> it's funny because you said, you said that, uh, just because I did it, we, I was on the special circumstances because I know people will probably hear that and be like, wait, you did it while on the weed. So I like your explanation behind that. That's, um, a very uh, wise explanation, I believe. because, yeah, uh, sorry to cut you off, but like that, that really was a big thing for me. Like, even though we only have like a three, like a three year age difference, we were at two very different points in our lives. And I credit you a lot to a lot of my growth because you haven't already experienced more than me and been through different things in life already, you were able to successfully guide me through a lot of my own personal struggles, especially when I didn't have the support of my family being nearby. So for us, things just worked out perfectly. But um, I mean, if you're gonna start looking like at a young age, find somebody who who's older, I wouldn't look at my age bracket I would find somebody who's older, a little more mature, a little more experienced, who's going to really offer you something. Yeah, but I think that's that's only if you're really serious about, if you you, you know you're mature, like, so, you know, somebody like you, that's, you was really mature when we first met, even though you was only 18, you was hella mature, and you was, uh, you knew what you, you even though you ain't, you probably not didn't know exactly what you wanted out of life, but you knew you wanted to do bigger and better things, so, mm-hmm. if you Somebody like that, that's the, like, that you know you want bigger and better things, you know you about your business. Yeah, you probably should try to figure out somebody that's on that. But if you know you're not one of those per- people, don't try to find somebody to, to find somebody that can make you one of those people. Cause this is gonna be, it's gonna be a, uh, it's gonna be an imbalance. You're not gonna be on the same wavelength for real. So it's important that you work on, that's for us. That's why I said like what you said, cause it is important that you work on yourself a lot first because he don't want to bring your bs to nobody else you want to find somebody when you already mentally you know well put together you might not be in the best financial situation but mentally and you know attitude wise good attitude good spirit you want to you you want to uh be there already and i will also say like i kind of it is not to sound like harsh but i feel like girls set themselves up going into relationships at a very young age with super high expectations of the man. And I say that because a man in his young 20s is not going to be as mature as you want him to be. And he just may not be able to commit to the relationship and to you the way you want him to be. So you have any super high expectations off the bat for someone who doesn't really know who he is and still needs to go figure himself out a little more and experience life, you're kind of setting yourself up for like a lot of that heartache that comes with being in those relationships so young. So I would say, honestly, like give yourself that time to work on you and also give who 
whoever it is, or, you know, that potential partner, that time to work on themselves. So you can both come to that relationship where you're at a more mature mind state to really commit to one another and really build that foundation to one with one another. Mm, that's a bar. That's a bar. You ain't lying about that. That expectation is what do a lot of people win. They have these, especially, you know, especially when you're in them early 20s, yes, they have such, such, ex, such uh, unrealistic. Hi high and unrealistic expectations for somebody that's in their early 20s. Like, you know what I'm saying? You can't expect somebody that's in their early 20s to be financially well put and super mature and all that. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's kind of crazy. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that a lot, man. You, you're talking a lot of uh, uh, real stuff. I'm trying to think of, was there anything else that we ain't go over that uh, I want to go? Is there anything else? Mm. I don't I know we only talk about the uh, foundation and Park Capital Foundation. You can talk about that if you want. You can even skip that. So yeah, I mean, if it, if you ain't had anything else, I don't, I don't know what what else what else what else you got. You know what I'm saying? You're doing a lot. You probably forgetting some stuff. You got a lot going on right now. You um you're extremely busy woman. Well, let me ask you this: What do you see yourself the next five ten years? Mm hmm. In the next five to ten years, I see myself reaching a point of financial stability that I'm comfortable with. Definitely being over a millionaire. I see myself married. I see myself being a awesome mom. And I see myself just overall enjoying life, um, motivating the people around me, continuing to educate the people around me and continuing to set a good example for other um, women out there who may be looking up to me because I think we all owe that to um, the generations before us, especially as women, to make sure the other young girls out there are given real examples of how a woman should carry herself and how a woman should, um, yeah, just pretty much carry herself throughout life. So I think that's going to be a really big thing for me, especially within five to 10 years. I want to be able to set that example and um, just be inspiring and motivating for the people looking up to me. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, I love that. And I can't wait to see where you at five to 10 years from now, because I know it'll be somewhere amazing. You'll be doing even bigger and better things, you know, and I, I, I can't wait to see you. Okay, cool. So this is my final question. I know you just started your pop, yo, my bad, your YouTube channel, Lessons in Life for Luxury. So just talk about that for a second. Like what 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 that be about? Why did you name it Lessons in Life for Luxury and all that good stuff? So Lessons in Life and Luxury for me is kind of like a passion project. I haven't really set any I will say monetary goals or any like set goals on it in that perspective. But for me, it's just my way of giving back, especially I know there's a lot of people who ask me questions about my personal journey and hear my perspectives on life. So I just wanted to provide an outlet for myself to provide that information to, especially to young girls who may be looking up to me. But lessons in life and luxury is pretty much a result of me feeling like I've entered a new chapter in my life where I'm turning 25. I'm at a point where I may not be 100% where I want to be fin financially, but I'm at a very comfortable point where I can afford a particular lifestyle that I want living, in, um, living here in Texas. So I want to 
showcase people like how you can make that transition into moving into the lifestyle lifestyle that you want, enjoying more um, luxurious things in life, whether that may be clothes or material items or just different travel experiences and things of that nature. And then also, I just want to provide just game on like just going through this whole experience and overall just growing up because like going, you know, I explained my background for you guys. I didn't grow up in a wealthy family or anything like that. So a lot of the things that I'm dealing with are new to me and they're new to my family. And it's a lot of stuff I wish I would have knew before I left my parents' home to help me with the stuff I'm going through. But my parents have never been through these things, so they can't really give me the proper advice that I need to navigate this space. So for girls out there who may be in a similar situation, I just want to provide them with that advice and with that information on how to navigate this space of growing up and whether you're a career woman or an entrepreneur and you've reached a certain level of success and now you want to elevate your lifestyle. Now you want to enjoy more upper class things. I just want to talk on those and just pretty much give game on different things out there and just bossing yourself up in general. So you make these first few steps, but this is like a lifestyle. This is going to be a long-term thing that you want to get into. So I just want to pretty much help you with that transition as I go through the transition myself. So like I said, Lessons in Life and Luxury is a passion project. It'll cover my life. They'll also provide you guys like a lot of game and a lot of information on those different things in lives you may have yet to experience and you just want to be knowledgeable. Yeah, I, I like everything you said, especially when it comes to the uh, luxurious part, because I feel like a lot of times when you're on this financial journey, a lot of people, which like we talked about earlier, sacrifices, and those sacrifices you got to make, but sometimes you can do it, like maybe here and there you might be able to do it, but some people uh, might really deprive themselves and be feeling miserable and stuff like that, so it's okay to treat yourself. So I think that's as long as, as long uh, along with the other stuff you said, I think that's extremely valuable. Agree. Like at the end of the day, you just got to enjoy life. Like you still got to allow yourself to enjoy the fruits of your labor. So of course you can budget, you can um, be strict about your finances and, you know, make sure your priorities get handled. But there is a certain point in time where you can start to make that transition and to start to allow yourself to have a little more, um, flexibility with your spending so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor. I agree. I agree. And uh, yeah, that was all I have for you. Unless you got anything else you want to talk about. No, I just, I really appreciate you for bringing me on this episode of the <laughs> podcast. You know, welcome to the Man of Monsters show, you know, it's our, it's our pleasure having you on, you know. <laughs> no, nah, but really it's grateful. You know, on the on a, on a serious note, though, so uh, before we before we wrap up, we want to just appreciate you guys for rocking with us. And uh, we got so much more content and great things on the way. So we appreciate y'all for listening to this episode. And wrapping up, you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller. And D, what's all your info and all the things you're do- doing? Make sure you plug your YouTube channel, all that stuff. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram at Deanna Kent, Twitter, Deanna S. Kent, and be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Lessons in Life and Luxury. 
and check out the very first video I dropped today. Go ahead and like and leave a comment for me. And I appreciate you guys for supporting. And that's all we have for y'all. Appreciate y'all tuning to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. We really appreciate y'all listening. We see you guys next episode. Peace. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier y'all gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody voucher Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary Still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments And sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people, if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your Profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier, y'all gon' talk about it No Deanna, speak that sh** that everybody voucher Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant